on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatos. Today on our show, we're going to talk about justice under tyranny. An interview in person with Joey Lynn Maceros sued over the Biden bus versus Trump train incident. I'll tell you all about that. And... Texas Attorney General Paxton impeachment travesty. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you at the very end of our show. But starting today on this justice under tyranny, I just want to make this point in the first five today. There was a great piece out on American greatness by the wonderful author Julie Kelly, uh, who's been chronicling everything happening in Washington arising out of the January 6th protest in Washington, D.C., the January 6th, 2021 protest. She's been uh, chronicling the cases, the individuals, the facts, the stories, the judges, the juries, just all sorts of information. And she called out recently in this column that I urge you to look at. In fact, anything I talk about in the show, you can read the columns yourself. I link the columns on our website, americachemitalk.org. Her column basically today was about all of the violence that occurred in Washington, D.C., violence at the hands of the Black Lives Matter protesters during the course of 2020, which was, of course, President Trump's uh, last year fully in office and um, part of the year that there was so much violence in the around the country, really, arising out of the George Floyd incident. The Black Lives Matter protests went completely wild. It, and there were very, very few prosecutions. And as I've mentioned before in this show, when you will see headlines on some places um, online saying, oh no, there are many, many arrests. It's important to understand part of what occurred was arrests did happen, but prosecutors didn't prosecute. They let the people go with nothing. And so the arrests were almost seemed like, I don't know, a subterfuge. But in any case, what Julie Kelly is bringing up was how even within Washington, D.C., um, there was a promise that the local authorities, the, the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, his name is Matthew Graves, promised, you know, justice for all, same justice for everybody. But she goes through and talks about how he, this, uh, D, this District of Columbia U.S. Attorney, Matthew Graves, uh, was questioned uh, by Congressman Paul Gosar from Arizona, basically saying, how can you treat these two categories of people so differently, the January 6th protesters, um, January 6th, 2021, versus the protesters, the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and, and literally, in the case of the alleged uh, capital siege, January 6th, 2021, Graves has initiated through his office, the DOJ's office, a thousand prosecutions, um, over a thousand, and has promised uh, more than a thousand more. In fact, but that when you look back at the rioting that happened with the Black Lives Matter rioting uh, that happened in Washington, D.C., a big episode happened in Washington, May 29, 2020, 
which would be three years ago yesterday. Three years ago yesterday. The point of bringing this up is, and Julie Kelly's article is making the point, that basically nothing happened to pretty much anyone who engaged in those protests, including the people who burned down part of St. John's Church, uh, who, who were so violent on the grounds of the White House that the president and the family had to be shuffled off to a safe, safe location. She runs through the many other protests that occurred in Washington, endangering our elected officials, very violent, destructive of property, destroying statues, making the point that when the justice system looks at people who are protesting and they're on the left, there's just a very different standard applied than to people who are supporters of the conservative view of life. As she describes, rage-filled activists, heart of the nation's capital throughout that year, 2020, and basically nothing happened. And in addition to what she points out in this article, other times she has pointed out, and I point out in this show too, how in America, in addition to the fact that the DOJ makes a decision at the federal level, whom to prosecute and for, and for how much, there's also, and it appears a complicity or a sympathy with the DOJ, with the um, anti-American left in this country, but there's also a problem with the judges, federal court judges, appointed, uh, whichever side they're appointed by, but mostly appointed by the left, where they seem oblivious to the inequities in our justice system. You don't see federal district court judges hearing these trials in Washington commenting. In fact, it was so rare because one one judge one time in one of the, the um, January 6th trials did comment about the amazing distinction between people prosecuted over their involvement in the, in the January 6th protests versus people involved uh, in other protests around the country uh, that were BLM, that were, the, uh, that were leftists, and just kind of saying there's a pretty big difference here. But you don't see many of those judges taking into account that really massive difference in treatment by our justice system. And it causes more and more Americans to start to worry that we have a two-tiered justice system. I want to compound that point in the first five with uh, another point I've talked about many times on this show, but it really matters to keep in mind, in addition to just a shift in the, what, the apparent determination of the federal government, the Department of Justice, to go after political opponents, political opposition, and, and to treat them very differently than they do people who support the left, uh, there's also this disinformation mindset I wanted to talk about briefly today because it really ties into how we treat and how we think about many instances in America. So we had, as you likely recall, under President Biden, um, he who occupies the White House, Biden, we had the Department of Homeland Security actually unabashedly announced, we have a new division, the, the uh, Department of Disinformation. And, and, and it was a disinformation governance board. And they actually said it with a straight face apparently not anticipating the huge pushback they got from the American people saying, it's not your job. It is not your job to decide what truth is. And what is so amazing, why I want to bring it up again today, because new things have happened along those lines, it is like it never occurred to the Biden administration, to the uh, Department of Homeland Security, to the new uh, Disinformation Governance Board. It never apparently occurred to them that this isn't really the government's job to decide what truth is. And so they know, because so many people have read 1984, they know George Orwell's book and the whole, his uh, fictional book uh, or prescient book was about the idea of, you know, he had the Ministry of Truth, 
which people started uh, making reference to the Biden administration setting up a modern-day ministry of truth, but it's like it never occurred to them that the American people would not accept the idea that the government gets to decide what is true. The government gets to decide narrative, decide facts, and you, the American people, are to be viewed as suspect if you won't agree with them. The Department of Homeland Security was equally culpable. They did this early on, within a couple of weeks of the Biden inauguration, where they announced that they were going to treat people who questioned the outcome of the 2020 election, which at this point is over half of America. But if you even question the 2020 election, you might be guilty of being a domestic terrorist. Later, that same agency, DHS, put out another department bulletin announcing if you disagree with the government's view on election fraud, on the efficacy of the COVID vaccines, on the availability of other treatments that are, are effective for COVID, you also might be considered domestic terrorists. The mindset that the government in America is supposed to have is a robust defense of the First Amendment. The concept that in America, a foundational idea of America is you have the right freedom of speech, which naturally includes freedom of thought. You're allowed to disagree with the government, to hold views that the government does not agree with because they don't want you to think you have that and the government can't actually say, you know, we don't anymore tolerate people who don't agree with us. They, they've coined these phrases of disinformation or misinformation or malinformation. And all they really mean is if we give a different label to the kind of language people use when they don't agree with us, maybe you American people will be duped and you won't recognize that we're taking away your freedom of speech. That's exactly what they're doing. So this article I mentioned, uh, I also want to draw Brought your attention is at our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. It's from the Gatestone Institute website, and it's actually from a very recent article talking about the continued effort of the Biden administration to hold itself out as the decider of what the American people must think, what you must believe, what you must see as true. So they had the, um, the uh, of course, the Department of Homeland Security had to retract and say, okay, never mind. We were just kidding about that government disinformation board. But all they really did, literally within a very, uh, within a space of a month, they created a new disinformation office, only they called it Foreign Malign Influence center. It operates out of the DNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence. So DNI now has the Foreign Malign Influence Center, which is not really about foreign. It's about anyone who expresses disagreement with any of the narratives that the left cares about, what they want you to say and think is true. There's also a bill pending in Congress right now. Democrat Senator Michael Bennett proposed a bill that would create a federal digital platform commission. Again, the mission of this commission, oh, that's kind of a cool phrase. The mission of this commission uh, is to decide they're going to promulgate rules and, and talk about civil penalties and hearings and conduct investigations. If you put things online that the government is deciding, you must view as misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, which can, of course, include anything they don't want you talking about, which probably includes a lot of things about Hunter Biden, certainly includes things about COVID and the source of COVID and the way the government treated the COVID episode. It wasn't even a pandemic. You look back at it, it was an episode in American history. You have all sorts of, of places where the American people are being told, don't go there, don't think that, don't say that. It goes on and on. In fact, this article makes reference to um, this being very similar to an American KGB or a SASE or the CCP they're empowered to tell the American people 
not only what you must think and say, but if you don't, if you really go along with it, you just might be in trouble. Essentially, they're trying to shape Americans' thought on every issue, so you pretty much become nothing like what the founders intended, a society free of, full of people who, who are just embrace freedom of speech, embrace the idea that we have the right to learn for ourselves, to read our sources, to understand what we understand to be truth, and to speak it, and to say it, and to think it. Last thing in the first five is, which I know I've gone over five, but this happens. Anyway, what I want to say was, uh, there was a statement attributed to William Casey, then CIA director, way back uh, under Reagan in 1987, where he made a comment which was reported uh, by Barbara Honiger, who was present at the White House in a meeting at the Roosevelt Room in the West Wing of the White House in February of 1981, at which William Casey, then CIA director, is reported to have said, We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Now, I'm not, you know, this was a, a Casey statement that was reported at the time and spread around at the time. No denial ever came um, out of anyone at that meeting that that was not said. But I'll close up really by saying this. The government effort to shape what you think and believe about a whole host of issues is really, uh, it's part of what happened under COVID. It's part of what happens on many other issues. You're kind of being told, believe the government narrative and don't listen to all these people who say other things. And the narrative isn't just about issues. It isn't just about thinking how you think about an issue or a policy. It's what you think about episodes, events, circumstances, and history. So right now you have many people in Washington still trying to convince you that the January 6th protest was an insurrection, which it wasn't, and they know it, and we know it, and we know they know it, and they know we know it, but they still keep on talking about it and keep on prosecuting as though it was. And the danger of all this is you eventually lose the precious concept in the First Amendment to the Constitution, the right of free speech, which includes the right to think and believe and speak as you do, as you believe. That, my very fine friends, is my very long first five. So we have joining us in the studio a guest whom I just met a couple weeks ago. Her name is uh, Joey Lynn Massaros. Uh, she's a Texan, and she's from an area called New Braunfels. And uh, she is part of a, she's a defendant in a lawsuit uh, that was brought by people who were riding on the Biden bus uh, this was during the campaign when uh, Joe Biden brought a, he wasn't on the bus, but there were people on his campaign driving around a bus around the uh, highways of Texas during the campaign. Uh, and there was a protest surrounding that Biden bus, which people affectionately call the Trump train. So uh, she was part of that and is now a defendant in a uh, very expensive lawsuit we're going to hear much more about right now. So welcome to the show, Joy Lynn. Hey, Debbie, thank you so much for having me on. Man, that intro on our free speech rights that are under attack couldn't be more relevant. I couldn't, yes, I could not agree more. It is truly amazing, truly amazing. And you know, one thing that happens, I do want to get into your story, but one thing that happens with that whole, we've set the narrative, we've told you what to believe, this is what you're supposed to say is true, is that people get a little bit hesitant, not just whether I should say this in public in a protest, but even in personal conversations. You know, I think that Trump really won the election in 2020. I think that the COVID vaccines were, are dangerous. I think that there were plenty. I mean, the things you would like to say, it stifles conversation. Anyway, I think you know that we'll get to that in a minute. So just tell us what happened. This is back in October of 2020. And so it's, we're just 
a little month, of, basically a month away from the election, and you got involved in a protest, uh, a, in a Trump train uh, in the New Braunfels area in Texas as the Biden bus rode through. So what happened? Yeah, so we learned very last minute that day that the Biden-Harris campaign bus was driving through our town on a major thoroughfare. And we had seen on uh, social media that day that other people in other cities were driving in their Trump trains with Trump flags next to the bus. And it looked it looked fun. It looked like a great photo op. Maybe we could get President Trump's attention and see uh, his reaction to our support for him and just encourage other people to get out and to do the same thing. It's kind of like you wear your favorite jersey to your sports team's game, right? And then the opposing team wears their jersey and may the best man win. Uh, and so it's shocking and not really shocking at all that we would be getting sued for our exercise of free speech while existing in the same space with the Biden-Harris campaign bus that day. But the bus just drove through New and we drove alongside of it showing our support for President Trump and now it's cost us everything. Okay, I do, I, I, that's a great summary. And so when I say Trump train, yeah. it became a popular term, but it's basically referring to people who have Trump flags or Trump banners, whatever it is, on their cars. That's what Trump train means. Yes, we were seeing that all over in 2020, whether that was on a boat, in the water, on land, on vehicles, there were miles long in the media, right? And our town specifically was on the map on national news for having a Trump train that had over 4,000 members. And so <laughs> it's no surprise to me that we were on their radar when they okay. drove through town. And also to back up a bit, you mentioned before the show started, we were talking that you've not been super political active up until that point in your life, yeah. but you had during this campaign decided for a bunch of reasons that you supported Trump. Mm -hmm. But your Trump train putting signs in your car, flags in your car, this was something you'd done in New Braunfels even before the Biden bus came through. Yeah, so for about three weeks, we had been parading through town. Uh, certain days during the week and evenings, there would be a time and a route we drive through our town. And all throughout the town, people in their lawn chairs with their kids would have pom-poms and signs and flags, and we'd drive by. And it was just a really good time. So for us to already have the flags in our vehicles and to do another Trump train parade wasn't out of the ordinary at that time. And we were seeing it all over the nation. Okay, so, um, you know, I was picturing you're talking about it, about like a July 4th parade. Yes. Where it, it's like that. People, they said, line the kids up, their little folding mm -hmm. chairs, they're waving flags. Mm -hmm. That's what you're talking about. That absolutely, kind of thing. absolutely. So Very already, peaceful on our end. And we would always pray before we went out. We would agree that because we received a lot of hate uh, from opposing viewpoints, people would throw drinks at us, people would flip us off, scream curse words, um, you know. There was all kinds of issues, and we would always agree we are not going to engage. We are only going to wave back. We are going to smile and wave, and we are not going to engage in that kind of behavior. And so, of course, we're getting sued uh, for exercising free speech when we never, ever engaged in that kind of behavior back. I, I love that. So getting back to the day in question, October 30th, 2020, mm -hmm. I also hadn't realized the Biden bus. I mean, you saw this, you know, was their way of, I guess, kind of their way of campaigning in Texas. I think they were very clear they never thought they would win Texas, but yes. that has some presence here. So they were driving a bus with Biden flags and signs on it from South Texas, somewhere near the border, yes. all the way up on major freeways, all the way up to Austin. Mm -hmm. And so you became aware that in cities, even prior to the making to New Braunfels, Correct. these people had ridden along the side of the buses and been, whatever they're doing, honking, waving Trump signs. Yes. 
Yes, that's true. We had seen it on social media and we're like, wow, that looks like so much fun. Maybe we could actually make the news. We could get Trump's attention. And we certainly did. He tweeted a clip of uh, the video through our town and said, I love Texas. And it was the <laughs> coolest thing. We were like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell my grandkids one day. I never thought in a million years I'd also have to be telling them about a federal level civil lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. So that to make, yeah, I want to get to that now. So you, you rode along, uh, this is near Brew Braunfels, John, a major thoroughfare, major highway, uh, rode along next, got the Biden bus and, and actually they had police escort. They right? did through our town. They did have a police escort. Absolutely. And they made a statement that everything was safe and in order. The police did. They did. So you're going through your town, which has a major freeway there, mm -hmm. police front and back bus rolling along. You all, your Trump train, rode next to them and you basically had what was what was on your car yeah so flag. we had uh trump 2020 flag american flag a texas flag and there would have been a fourth flag it may have been a come and take it flag i'm not really sure yeah we in texas love that come and take it flag. <laughs> yes I, I we like do it. okay <laughs> yes so, so you rode along and then during the course of time you were there next to the bus was there any uh you didn't bump into the bus. No bumping each other. <laughs> no, Debbie, despite the narrative of mainstream media that says we tried to run the bus off the road or did run the bus off the road, that absolutely never happened. The bus was never impacted. It drove until it decided to stop in Austin, Texas. Uh, there are other narratives that the bus tried to exit, but we blocked it or created a barricade with our vehicles. Anybody with eyes that watches the videos of what happened that day can see that that's certainly not the case. Um, and that's what I want to make sure. So yeah. there was no blocking their egress. No. There was no getting in front of them and slowing down, endangering it. There, there was, no. It was just a ride next to them and tell them this is who we are in Texas. It absolutely was. It was our right to be there on a road as Texans. We pay taxes to drive on. Uh, the bus was predominantly in the right-hand lane. So if at any time it wanted to exit, it certainly could have. Uh, but it did choose on its own accord to drive all the way to the left lane, back to the right lane, back to the left lane, and swerve in and out of traffic. And your viewers probably remember this viral video from 2020. And there was a white car following the Biden bus and it hit a truck with a Trump flag. And that's where the narrative came from that we were trying to run the bus off the road because mainstream media only showed a clip of a cell phone recording of that incident of that truck pushing the car back in a defensive manner, but implying that the truck started the accident, which in fact didn't happen. However, I did not see that happen that day. That was not our vehicle. I'm just aware of that. Okay, that was going to make clear. This wasn't you or anyone. No. It wasn't your little Trump train segment. It wasn't you guys. It wasn't you. I have no idea at what point that happened. I was not privy to it. I didn't see it. I learned about it way after. Uh, but I do have video footage from the witness that took it that we will be using in court to prove that the Biden staffer, in fact, caused the accident. And it was not Trump supporters. And this wasn't the bus. This was a, a follow correct. vehicle or whatever That's it was. Correct. Although Biden said in a press release that we tried to run the bus off the road. And then pe people like on the view we're saying that we were emboldened racist bigots crawling out from under our rocks to do that yeah. and how could you vote for trump why don't you sue them for defamation <laughs> i would well, love to <laughs> they probably deserve it anyway um so in, in boston just be clear because i was going to this viral video Correct. people saw wow you know this protest got out of control because it looked like the the trump supporters just bumped into a biden it wasn't the big bus it was a follow-on vehicle with a biden staffer inside but you're saying what you saw, you didn't see it all that day, but Correct. later the video you saw showed Correct. it was actually the Biden staffer from the video that I saw, and I did personally see the bus weaving in and out of traffic, and I have a okay. photo on my phone of the bus taking up three lanes with that white car because they were swerving in and out of traffic. Um, 
And so I did not see the accident. I saw the bus driving sporadically and I have seen the video with my own eyes and it is very clear and evident. The white car exited its lane while swerving the with the bus. The white car Biden The Biden driven. staffer hit a truck with the Trump flag. Yes, ma'am. And then the, the uh, Trump the, the uh, Trump supporter- Barely pushed it back okay. to, and maintained defensive driving in my opinion. But this had nothing to do with you, your not presence. Not at all. No, but they're using this in the lawsuit claiming that we had a premeditated plan of assault to run the bus off the road. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. they are lying about this and fabricating this story, yet they have no proof or evidence to, to substantiate these claims against us. Okay, so just be clear, this is not a criminal prosecution, not Correct. the DOJ, but it is uh, the power of using lawsuits to, uh, I mean, is certainly to threaten people like mm -hmm. you who are exercising your free speech and also eventually to diminish your financial capacity to function. I mean, because it's expensive, yeah. obviously, to defend against a lawsuit. So, so when was, so this happened October 2020. When did you first learn that you were going to be sued by people on the bus that day? Yes, you're right. It is not the DOJ. It's not criminal. It is civil. Uh, these are very powerful and well-resourced, unlimited resource individuals suing us as average Americans individually in court under the Ku Klux Klan law. I learned about it eight months later from a friend who saw it on CNN. So you hadn't even heard about it yet, but you no. were going to learn about these. Okay, so so they came after you. Uh, this is the the people on the Biden bus. Yes. Uh, not Biden himself. People on the bus. They're suing White you. House officials, Democrat politicians. Yes. Yeah. One being Wendy Davis, That's who's correct. a well-known Democrat operative, leftist. In any case, people on the bus. They sued you. You found it eight months later. So mm -hmm. you first from CNN, but you finally find out, and yeah. they're suing you over the incident and they're basically saying emotional distress. Is that they are. And I didn't even understand what was happening. I am not familiar with legalese. I was barely, I, did, I wasn't even familiar with my constitutional rights, Debbie. I didn't know that what even free speech was. Um, I wasn't raised to have that information. I didn't learn it in school. This is something I've recently learned. And it was that a friend called and said, you are getting sued um, for driving next to that bus. And I was like, uh, well, I think I would know about that. I, that doesn't sound right. Maybe that's just propaganda or fake media news. And it wasn't until four weeks later that we actually got served the paperwork to understand the scope of the lawsuit. And we're like, this is crazy. And I talked to uh, a neighbor and said, I don't understand what we even did wrong. And she said, you didn't do anything wrong. It's your constitutional right to free speech. And I thought, what is that? What does that mean? And so I started digging in okay. what that meant. So you know now I know that it is okay. my God-given right to free speech and every other Americans. And so I believe God called us to this to rapidly learn and understand the importance of defending it before it's gone. Okay. Before it's gone is a really good uh, caveat of added. So you're sued by them. Yes. You're in federal court. Correct? Federal Correct. court. Federal okay. Court. And all the people, these are the Biden, you know, who knows who's funding them, but well-funded people on the left going after people who eventually basically ran along alongside of a Biden bus. It was a Trump train versus Biden bus. And, and, and you exited and that, and had no interaction Correct. other than just, you know, waving at them, walking them into Texas. Yes. So this Lawsuit is proceeding, I assume, and, and it's, there are numerous defendants, correct? It's you and your husband. Yes, ma'am. There were initially uh, five defendants. Later on the final day, the last day of the two-year statute of limitations where you could not add anybody else, they added three more defendants. And since then, two have settled. I would say that we're spearheading the efforts to fundraise, to fight back, and to defend our constitutional rights to free speech. Um, but in total, currently as it sits, there are six defendants listed on this lawsuit as individuals. 
Okay, and I know you mentioned earlier, but this lawsuit, you're having to pay lawyers, obviously, to oh, defend yes. you. Yes, we cashed out our 401k initially to retain an attorney, uh, and we're expecting it to cost maybe 50000 and we've since learned we're looking at upwards of $600,000, if not more, just in legal fees. This does not include the what they're seeking. They haven't even made clear uh, the financial compensation they're seeking for being emotionally damaged under the claim that we banded together on a public highway like the Ku Klux Klan with the intent to suppress blacks and minorities from voting with a premeditated plan of assault to run the bus off the road they're claiming emotional trauma and want to be financially compensated the only indicator they've given us of what compensation they're seeking is the bus driver's annual salary being seven hundred thousand dollars but can't provide pay stubs to back that up well that i'm going to become a bus driver you get paid seven hundred thousand yeah i don't like that salary okay but I want to, you know, this is, I, I do want to get to, so you, this is you and your husband mm -hmm. and the other defense involved yes. paying at this point for your own lawyers. Yes, ma'am. And actually, Emilio, the wonderful back there. Did I send you a little link to her give, send, go? Do you have that? Okay. I, you know, I was just realizing as I was talking, let me find that for you. Because what's happening, my friends, is people who are concerned about the abuse of our legal system through this civil litigation um, are discovering that. Uh, you can you can help people uh, like our guest today because they're paying, they are paying for their own lawyer to defend them against this harassing. You do have it, okay? Let's put that up just so I can show you this give send go. Uh, okay, the, okay. Look at so my very fine friends, Joey Lynn Macero. So if you read in the bottom, if you're not if you're only hearing this and you're not able to see the screen, Texas defendant over Biden bus Trump train www.givesendgo.com. I'm going to say that givesendgo.com slash Maceros, M-E-S-A-R-O-S. When you go there, you can find, you can donate money. Thank you so much. You can donate money and this allows them to be able to defend, to pay their lawyers to defend this lawsuit. So yeah. they're coming after you and, um, and I know you filed one motion to dismiss. Mm -hmm. We did. We filed a motion to dismiss based on the fact that they have not even met the basic requirements of using this Ku, this Ku Klux Klan law against us to prove that there was any racial motivation. Uh, but the judge took over eight months to deny our motion to dismiss the lawsuit. And after they added more defendants on the final day of that two-year statute of limitations, it bumped us back to square one where we had to file yet another motion to dismiss all over again. Furthermore, bleeding resources. Intentionally, this is that lawfare that we see designed to bankrupt and silence right. conservatives. A silence speech, yeah. Yes. And actually, you mentioned a couple times, I meant to say, it's an amazing thing, this this litigation. They're, they're pointing to a law that passed in 1871 mm -hmm. called the Ku Klux Klan Act, which... To be really clear, when the Democrats ran the South and they were all a bunch of racists and they wouldn't let the newly freed slaves vote mm -hmm. and they formed Ku Klux Klan, there was an effort to basically say, you know, you cannot intimidate black voters. You can't hassle them. You can't, you can't interfere with their rights. So the Ku Klux Klan Act uh, doesn't seem that relevant to that day, but the gist of it is they're, they're trying to claim that the entire protest you engage in has something to do with race. Yes, and it's based on the premise that we had Trump flags because those are apparently synonymous with white supremacy. Okay, and th this is, I mean, back to my point in the first five, or longer than five, the capacity of those who mold and shape thought to try to say, oh, you support Trump, that has something to do with white supremacy, which it never has, never does. Mm -hmm. And I think the people who say it, they know it's not true. They just find it. They, they think they, and they do manipulate ignorant voters who don't actually investigate and learn things. They're taught to believe, oh, Trump supporter, white supremacy. And then they believe it because they don't think. They Correct. don't reason, they don't research, they don't 
They, you they can don't... even tell them. We've en engaged with so many people where we've tried to share our side of the story, video footage, facts from that day. Uh, and they are convinced that they saw video footage of us run the bus off the road. They believe that they saw it because of the power of the headlines and the power media. Power suggestion. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned in your intro, Debbie, about these judges that seem to be appointed by liberal, you know, our judge is appointed by Obama, and he has not ruled in favor for anything for us. This, these odds have been stacked against us. They have over 20 attorneys, multiple nonprofits funding their lawsuit. We have reached out to many First Amendment rights organizations for assistance, like Alliance Defending Freedom, ACLJ, you know, Liberty First, and we've been denied by each one saying that we fall outside the scope, the scope of because their work. they specialize in religious freedom under right. the First Amendment. So where conservatives have this gap of defense against our constitutional rights, Rights, the left is strategically infiltrating and if we don't stand up and defend it they will break down and dismantle our constitution piece by piece and we won't have a leg to stand on um and even our our local lawmakers really are not wanting to get involved because it's a legal matter and they're lawmakers and so there's a conflict of interest there so what happens when the average american gets attacked by powerful elites in the in the government uh, and don't have the resources to fight back but it's a constitutional matter and so i'm so grateful that you've given us a voice on your show to reach the american people because a lot of media outlets have not either. They absolutely, it is an astonishing thing. And I actually, I do remember back when this whole episode happened and thinking there's probably more of the story I'm not seeing. And honestly, I didn't dive in at that time, but I'm glad I happened to meet you mm -hmm. uh, recently at an event in New Braunfels. So, um, and I was going to mention the this Ku Klux Klan Act is a very, very little used, although the NAACP recently used it another attempt to attack conservatives. They, they tried to use it uh, in an attack in a lawsuit that relates to January 6th and Proud Boys and Trump. But the fact is, it has nothing to do, Ku Klux Klan Act has nothing to do with a, with a you know, Trump train standing up next to a Biden bus. There's no connection there. The thing is, we know it and they know it, but it's a hook to get people sympathetic to the lawsuit, sympathetic to the left. Um, and people like you are being, I mean, you're being defamed. I mean, mm -hmm. being called a racist because you would rather have Trump than Biden. Yeah. Thoroughly, okay. thoroughly. <laughs> okay, so actually, one of the things, so when is your, you, you've had a motion dismissed, you have another one pending, mm -hmm. and you have a trial date. Yes, ma'am. It's December 11th, 2023, so that'll be over three years from the date of driving next to the bus. Our attorney has counseled that it will likely get delayed or pushed back into the 2024 election for political theater, and I would expect that seeing as they brought this story up along with January 6th in Trump's impeachment trial. They brought your story up yes, in Trump's impeachment trial? They absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so your trial's coming in December, although I know they, they may push it off. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, you make a really good point. You know, it's, I, I've been covering many stories that relate to January 6th and actual criminal prosecution. But if you can use the justice system in a way that you get the judges who, who don't seem to be actually applying the law or looking at the facts, and you have them allowing a Ku Klux Klan Act violation mm -hmm. to stand, without any evidence there was racial intent. Right. I mean, you're really just saying that the system, one way or the other, prosecution or litigation is gonna shut you down. It's very much a message to people who would dare protest. And I will tell you, folks, I, I, want to mention, I mentioned to uh, Joey Lynn before he came on today, you know, I, I told you in the first five about all the cases that involve the, in Washington, D.C., and the January 6th episode, where you have, if you can bring it back to me, I don't know if you, Emilio, are you? Are you 
if you uh, if you think what happened on January 6th and you have you know a bunch of people who the recent uh, guests on my show we had uh, we the Middleton couple we had Jaleesa Mark Middleton who literally stood on the green on the green grass of the public property in the Capitol prayed for the country and for Trump and for justice and for fair elections and literally are facing uh, literally are facing uh, decades in prison for a trial coming this August you start to realize how effective it is to abuse the justice system to go after political opponents and another vehicle that is is uh, available to people uh, on the left is to use this lawfare this kind of shut you down through litigation it costs a fortune they have all these left-wing organizations happy to fund this fund them and then you have the american citizen saying but i thought i had the right i mean i'm just this trump train driving on the freeway uh, you know which is you're allowed to do as a citizen waving your flags it is a form of free speech if there ever was one. It's just a parade, and parading is among the primary ways in which you can express free speech. So short of the effort to contort this protest into a violent, they tried to ram a car or something, which did not happen in the case of this, our individual on the show today, uh, Joey Lynn Maceros and others with her, no criminal activity occurred. What they're really telling you is we're going to make you, we're going to silence you and everyone like you so no one will think of ever protesting again. And it is really the same thing happened to January 6th defendants in Washington, D.C. It's the same thing. It is the, the you know, the, what do you call, the balancing, the, the failure to, uh, the importance of recognizing nothing like this is happening to any of the protesters who engaged in violence against Trump. In fact, you know, I sent a link to Emilio a minute ago before we started, but you remember when Donald Trump was first running for president? He was holding these rallies, and, you know, literally the rallies are packed. I mean, early on, he almost any city he went to, he could announce an event. You know, 48 hours later, the place was packed. And outside of those places, there were protests ongoing. There were protesters who would show up, and they just hated Trump. They held signs up, we hate Trump, or, you know, um, whatever they were calling him names, mocking, ridiculing Trump. All those protests happened, and as we've talked about in this show, basically none of those people got arrested. Even when people trying to attend the Trump rally were saying, I was a little afraid to go through the crowd, I couldn't get to the entrance because they were violent, they were blocking me. And those people were able to engage in quite vocal and violent protests with almost no consequence. So um, I'm going to see if Emilio can, Emilio can play that quick clip. This is one Trump rally that was in 2015 i think let's quick see how we did on that one we we're not sure we got this clip right so we're gonna see so these are people at a trump rally being shouted down by people who hate trump so these are the trump people being shouted down by others i don't know if you got to the point Okay, these people who just, they're screaming, basically, you're not allowed to like Trump. We hate him, so you have to hate him. This kind of violence, you can see, led to almost no pro, almost no arrests, certainly no prosecutions. And the, the manipulation by media in this country led you to think that, you know, Trump is so bad, Trump is so evil, that whatever happens to his protesters, his supporters, Whatever protesters do, it doesn't matter because Trump bad, Trump bad, orange man bad. It's kind of the message. And so you have our justice system, even at this time, start this process of the dual standard of, you know, if you're protesting Trump, you're really, 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 um, if you're protesting Trump, you can pretty much do anything. 
And if you're supporting Trump, you better not even drive your bus, drive your car along a Biden bus at lawfully and in your own lane. We, we can cut that off. I will show you, in fact, I'll try to dig out more of the protests that occurred in Washington um, during the whole last year of President Trump's presidency, the BLM protests, they destroyed, they burned a church, they destroyed statues. Very, very, very little prosecution occurred. And it really is the rise of tyranny. It's the rise of a, of a just a, um, the loss of freedom of speech. It's a, people use the term cultural Marxism. It's almost too gentle a term. It is a notion that says if you support the government, we will protect you no matter what you do. And if you don't listen to the government, we'll make your life miserable. That is what is occurring to our guest today. So once again, let's tell our listeners how they can help you. If you put that up again, if you would please, Mr. Emilio, there you go. There we go. Yes. This is Joey Lynn Maceros, givesendgo.com slash Maceros, M-E-S-A-R-O-S. This is how you can help a family like this because what they're really standing for is not just their protection of their, they spent all their family assets, but if they have savings again, they're trying to protect themselves and that is against the onslaught of lawfare, which is basically being used by the left to shut down all political opposition. Should not be happening in America. Joey Lemaceros, thank you for joining me. Do you have any last words really quickly? Thank you so much. I do. I would like to let your audience know that when I met you, it was a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, you came to my town and you spoke at a conservative club meeting. And I was choking back tears the entire time you were speaking because what you were doing was telling stories of other Americans just like me. Americans you've had on your show, whose stories you're bringing to light, truth that you're exposing, and that you didn't forget them. You remembered them and you told more people about their story. And that has been... Our biggest struggle is that we've we've been under attack. I'm a homeschool mom. We're a single income family. We have a 12 year old son and we feel like we have no voice and very little support. And my dream is that people would remember us and our story and talk about it. And so I would like your viewers to know that I stood up in the Q&A and said, would you please have me on your story? And you <laughs> and your kindness, you graciously did and you wasted no time. You, I think you booked me a week later. And um, very few people have done that for us in the last three years. And you were reporting on true stories that are happening to real people. And these are the kinds of things that people need to be getting behind. And you said at that speech that this is our time to be warrior women and to really I find love that. Yes. <laughs> and I was just like, that's me. I want to be that. And I want to inspire other people to do that. And I believe that when we're willing and our hearts open, God can use us in the craziest ways. I never would have thought that by putting a flag on the back of my vehicle, God would use me to defend a constitutional right that I didn't even know existed. But he's been faithful and he's providing the resources through people like you and average Americans that are donating through our fundraiser. Thank you for putting that on the screen. And for anybody who wants to follow our story, tell our story to somebody. Maybe you have a news connection or, uh, you know, social media, you want to share it. We created a website called Free Speech Defender. And at freespeechdefender.com, there's an About Us story, a 90-second video you can share on your social media. We post our legal updates there. There's a link to our fundraiser and all the ways people can give. Um, and that's just basically how people can contact us and stay in the loop with what's going on because this is so long and drawn out. And so I just want to say a huge thank you to you and your fans and audience need to know what an awesome patriot you are and how you're really doing the work, the groundwork for the American people. Thank you for those very, very kind words. And I am glad you mentioned your free speech defender. Are, are you looking at me? You can do, okay, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. Freespeechdefender.com. Freespeechdefender.com. It's a great, I mean, it really is. It's not just, not just you and not just this issue, but the concept, you're allowed to disagree with the government and you're allowed to say things yes. that the government doesn't agree with and they're not supposed to make yes. your life miserable. And Debbie, I'll, on my last word, I'm sorry, I know you keep trying to close this segment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lisa, one more thing. Well, I gotta talk about Ken Paxton. I know, I know. It's important. It's important. Um, We understand that this being brought as a civil rights matter at the federal level has the potential to impact every American if they win and it sets a legal precedent. This is not just a sad story about our family. This impacts every single American, whether we agree or disagree. And so we feel like we are called to defend free speech. And so we really do need the help of every American, whether that's $5, your your Monday morning coffee, if you could contribute that to our fight, or maybe you have more. Um, But we believe that if we can win this, then we can be that resource that helps other people when their free speech is under attack since we have not been able to find that. So hopefully we will win this, we will recuperate the legal expenses we spent, and we will be able to start a fund to help other Americans. And so freespeechdefender.com hopefully is just the beginning. Thank you very much for all that you just said. And it is very true, harking back to my first five, you know, this is a pushback against all that the left is doing in this country. This destruction of the First Amendment promise of free speech, this concept that they'll decide disinformation, malinformation, misinformation, we dictate what truth is and you all, out, you peasants out there, you just nod and bow. So I, I'm grateful for all that you, you were doing too and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Debbie. Okay, my very fine friends, I, you probably, I'm going to guess a lot of you tuned in today thinking, I bet the very first thing she's going to talk about is the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, uh, being impeached by the Texas House over the weekend. And I'm going to dedicate a great segment of my show tomorrow, Wednesday, to far more detail, but I do want to begin the discussion today on this show. So yes, it is true that Texas Attorney General uh, was faced with articles of impeachment in the Texas House and they did vote uh, to impeach him. And this is very similar to the federal level where the U.S. House, or in in this case, Texas House, uh, does the the impeachment vote. You don't present evidence. It is kind of like what the grand jury does in a criminal prosecution. So you have the impeachment vote and then if they decide to impeach, then the legal process calls for the matter to move from the House to the Senate. And just like when, when Trump went through it in Washington, the Senate then has the obligation to hold a trial. And it's more like, you know, if the House thing is like the grand jury, the Senate is more like the judge and the, and the trial, the jurors, and they present evidence to decide whether to remove the individual who's been impeached. So that's the process where we are right now. And so the House vote doesn't mean anything uh, in terms of uh, the what, you know in terms of the outcome, but it does mean that the process will now move uh, to the Texas Senate, and they have are trying to get moving as quickly as they can uh, in the Senate to hold the trial. And that is a trial where they have to set. There's a process. You have to set the rules for the trial. You have to have, and that is being created by a small committee. They've got to decide, you know, who can testify, how much testimony, all of that stuff. So that's the process where we are. This coming Thursday, uh, I have Texas State Senator Bob Hall joining me for our Thursday show, full hour in studio audience. Uh, he's going to be joining me. I will tell you right now, he is not permitted, he nor anyone else who's a member of the Senate, is permitted to discuss this case in any way, just like you can't talk to a juror if a person tells you, hey, I got a call for jury duty, and I'm on a jury, you know, in a murder trial. You know the judge has instructed the jury, don't talk about this case with anyone. It's the same principle applies to the Texas State Senate. That's where we are. So Bob Hall will be on on Thursday, Senator Bob Hall, to talk really about this last session uh, in the Texas State um, House, which has been extraordinary to beat the man. You'll, you won't believe all the stuff that happened. But on the subject of Ken Paxton, I want to hit, I want to run through some top level analysis of it, and then we'll talk about it more later. 
what is really happening in the great state of Texas? Because it is true in Texas, we have Republican majority in the House, Republican majority in the Senate, Republican governor, Republican attorney general, Ken Paxton, and Republican uh, lieutenant governor, who's the, also the head of the Senate, Dan Patrick. They're all Republicans. And so it made a lot of national news, people saying, wow, if Republican majority House could impeach a guy who is Republican attorney general, he probably really did something wrong. That is the kind of kindergarten level takeaway if you just read headlines. And I want to disabuse you of some of those notions. I should say, by the way, the one difference between Texas procedure and U.S. procedure is that now that the House has made that impeachment vote, at least temporarily, Attorney General Paxson is not our Attorney General. He stepped away from that seat, uh, and if there, if needed, this the governor can replace a temporary, can appoint a temporary replacement. So that's the only difference in procedure. Here's the here's the bottom line, top line way to look at it. This is simply a battle between the grassroots and the establishment people in, in, in our state. And it's the same battle happening in across America in Republican parties and maybe the Democrat side, I don't know. But the Republican side, it's an endless tug of war. It's the grassroots versus the elected. It is the ruling elite establishment versus the voters and the grassroots. That is the distinction. It's not a Republican Democrat issue. It is a concept of the idea that our, um, our party does not, is not always on the same page. Many grassroots people in Texas uh, are trying to have their voices heard. They are outraged by this. So, this is not, so, so that is the, the high level thing. It is not, it's, a, it's grassroots versus a ruling elite trying to tell you, we don't care what you think and we don't care who you voted for, we'll decide for you. One big factor to keep in mind, and you must understand that, there is a Texas state statute. It is law in the state of Texas. Amelia, I'm gonna have you put this up in just a second. A Texas state statute that says, no public official may be impeached for any actions taken prior to his most recent election. So quick put that up there so you can see. This is what the Texas state law says. It, and, and actually that is, okay, there's another one, the mini version that it has just that middle piece. Okay, the general, and so this is making reference to it. This is one of the Texas state house members who voted against impeachment and she in part of her explanation for why she voted against impeachment, she included this paragraph. The General Investigating Committee stated in its May 26, 2023 memorandum to the House that, but for Paxton's own request for a taxpayer-funded settlement over his wrongful conduct, Paxton would not be facing impeachment. Paxton would not be facing impeachment by the House. And so the relevance of that is that the Texas, the Texas state law says he cannot be impeached for anything that happened prior to his most recent election. And everything the Texas House looked into and reported on and based their impeachment decision on, the articles of impeachment, involved things that happened before he was most recently elected. In other words, they are misusing Texas law, and let me just add, and they know it. They all know it. They all understand that everything that they put into impeaching Ken Paxton, Attorney General Paxton, were things that occurred prior, prior to his most recent election. Just so you know, Ken Paxton has been around Texas state politics for a while. Uh, he served in the Texas state house. You know, the, the 
Texas State House from 2003 till 2013. He served in the Texas Senate, elected overwhelmingly every time, elected in the Texas State Senate in 2013. Uh, then he was then elected Attorney General in Texas. Attorney General, he's elected in 2014, again in 2018, and again in 2022. So he's been elected popularly over and over and over and over. When he first ran, when he first ran for Texas State Senate, he was, and there was a primary, excuse me, when he first ran for Attorney General, there was a primary that year, it was 2014, a primary that involved Ken Paxton running for Attorney General, and his opponent was a guy named Dan Branch. Both were members of the Texas legislature. Dan was a Texas House guy. Paxton was a Texas senator. And they ran, they both ran for attorney general in a primary. And in that primary, the establishment Republicans got behind Dan Branch, who's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's got a nice wife, five kids. Total establishment guy. Ken Paxton ran as a grassroots Republican. Ken Paxton overwhelmingly won. Dan Branch picked out certain things that, that he pointed to in Ken Paxton's conduct of his time in the House and the Senate, saying, well, you know, these, these things were not right. They were unethical. He shouldn't have done this. He should have done this. And the Texas voters looked at what, Ken, what uh, Dan Branch had to say, and they didn't, it didn't sway them. Whether they did or did not agree with whatever Dan Branch was raising, it didn't sway them. Same thing happened when, uh, so, so, he he won overwhelmingly. He won. He Ken Paxton won uh, both the um, attorney general seat, elected again in 2018, elected again in 2022. And during the time he served as attorney general, there have been numerous issues that were raised by various people working in his office. Relitigating those, I covered those at the time this was happening. But relitigating those is absolutely irrelevant. It is because the Texas law says. You don't impeach somebody over things that occurred prior to their last election. And the reason, which is most obvious, but the legislative purpose is to say, if the Texas voters knew about this, they knew about whatever your complaint or criticism is, and they decided, well, even if that's true or, even if, or it's true or isn't true, we want what he's going to do for Texas. We want this guy because he's a fighter, because he's conservative, because he's strong, because he stands for the things we care about. And so the statute there to say, you in the, in the Texas House, in the Texas Senate, your job is not to relitigate, to rethink what the Texas voters already knew about. They already knew everything that is in this impeachment debacle document. And, they just, and the Texas voters said, Either they said, I don't believe those accusations against him, I don't think he did anything wrong, or even if I think I don't like some things he did, I still want him for attorney general because he's the one who will stand for my values. So that's the first point to understand. The impeachment itself appears to be utterly, completely unlawful. Nothing new was brought up, and that was, put that thing up again, that second little skinny slide. This is a woman, a member of the Texas State Rep, the Texas State House, who put this up in her explanation for why she could not vote for impeachment. She's saying every dang thing you all, this impeachment committee put in this impeachment articles happened before the last election because they admit it. They say, we wouldn't even be looking at his conduct. We wouldn't even be looking at this case, except for the fact that he uh, submitted a request 
to the Texas State Legislature to reimburse him. As to that, we can come back to me now. There was a, a request submitted by Attorney General Paxton to the Texas State uh, Senate and House, at the legislature, to be reimbursed for a litigation settlement fee. He settled litigation with some people in his office. It's like $3.3 million. And so I actually, I will tell you that I hear from various senators, Texas state senators, Texas state reps, who are basically making the argument, well, that opened the whole thing up. No, it didn't. They could have said, you know, uh, we can't pay that because we think it's unjustified. You know, they, they could just say no. But instead, they decided to form a committee months ago, this past March, months ago, they formed a committee to look into uh, everything in Attorney General Paxton's history in life and came up with these things they're saying justify. So whether you as an individual voter might have said, you know, well, maybe this would have changed my mind. The fact is the law says you, they can't do this. And then I'm telling you people, so it matters, they know it. And so it leads me to the next point I want to make regarding how we got here. So we have in Texas, you might think, everyone thinks Texas is so conservative. Let me just put up, this is clip four. I just want to show you one thing about what happens in the Texas legislature. In the Texas legislature, we have a Speaker of the House named Dade Phelan, or ringleader, whatever you want to call him. He, is, he is, has an R by his name. He's a Republican Speaker of the House. And so you understand how he got there. He didn't get there because the Republican majority picked him. He did not. He got all the Democrats, the minority party Democrats, came to him and said, we'll back you for speaker in the House. Even though we're Democrats, they get concessions from him. And you just got to pick off, I think it was like 12 Republicans to get with you, to get behind you, and you can be speaker. And so they find 12 Republicans they can pick off to join the Democrats. And so it's really a Democrat chosen Speaker of the House. Dade Phelan has more money than anyone could possibly imagine and to dole out. So this list you're looking at, this is the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars given to Texas state rep candidates to help them in their campaigns, to help them win. And shockingly, it appears that all or virtually all the people who got money from Dade Phelan went along with a Dade Phelan initiated effort to take out Ken Paxton. Now, I will say there may be people in this list who actually don't understand what the law says or that they aren't supposed to impeach for things prior to the election or they are so overwhelmed they can't understand anything I don't know if money's the only motive, but I do know that these people all got money from him and they all voted the way that Dade Phelan pushed him. You can come back to me now. And the other reason I'm telling you all this is because it sets a dangerous precedent in Texas because it's basically saying the voters can decide. The voters can decide who they stand with, who they want to be in the, in the very important position of attorney general. But if the establishment majority in the Texas House and the Senate don't like him, they'll just take him out anyway. They're really, they're not just hurting Ken Paxton. They're hurting the voting base in Texas who chose him. And his opponent, by the way, his primary opponent in the primary, uh, I'm speaking Ken Paxton's primary opponent, uh, was a guy named George P. Bush, who is a Bush family legacy and the voters in Texas just roundly rejected him, did not want him. They don't want any more Bushes because they're too establishment. They didn't want him. And that's what the message of the voters was, is if that's my choice, I'm going to stick with Ken Paxton. So I want to tell you something else that's occurred. There's been statements put out by the Texas State GOP chair, happens to be a good friend of mine. Did I say the Matt Rinaldi statement? Did I send you that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, clip three. Okay, this is a lengthy statement, but I'm just going to tell you that 
Matt Rinaldi is the chair of the Texas GOP. And he, so he therefore, you know, you think, well, he's GOP, he's supposed to be on everybody's side. But he, along with countless other Texas state GOP chairs and counties, are weighing in and saying, this is out of control. This is wrong. Dade Phelan runs the Texas um, House as though it is a, a, you know, is Democrat controlled. He gives Democrat control to key leadership, to key committee leaderships. He lets Democrats run them. He has allowed the Democrats to, to uh, quash many items on the Republican agenda. And this is really brave of Matt Rinaldi. He's a great uh, state chair because he just says what he's, he's with the grassroots. He says what the grassroots think. I'm going to much more de- t- detail tomorrow because I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm past out of time. Anyway, um, we're good. Okay. But I do want to tell you that um, one other thing I want to talk about tomorrow is, because uh, you might be thinking, I was talking to my really good Republican friend in New York um, where I grew up over the weekend, and she was saying, well, if all that is true, he's so great. Why are they driving him out? Like what would drive the Republicans in the um, Texas House to vote for impeachment? And I'm going to tell you, what Ken Paxson does in the litigation he brings, in the lawsuits he brings, he attacks the untouchable sacred cows that the Uniparty love. He does. He, he is not beholden to the ruling class uh, GOP establishment rules that say what you can talk about and what you can't. So he brought the litigation to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States challenging election integrity when uh, the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. He brought a beautiful piece of litigation. The Supreme Court, in my view, wrongly decided he didn't have standing and dismissed the suit. But he has been a leader. Ken Paxton's been a leader in uniting attorneys general around this country in conservative efforts to bring important issues to the courts, to the attention of the public. And he doesn't really play by the establishment games. He attacks their sacred cows, one being, in my view, uh, a recent effort he's made to expose the uh, pharmaceutical companies, the big pharma companies that inflicted so much damage on the people of Texas through the COVID-19 vaccines. He is trying to bring them, bring responsibility to those big pharma, especially Pfizer, but big pharma officials, basically just saying, you knew the vaccines were dangerous and you kept pushing them on the people of Texas. There are many people in the Texas legislature who receive directly or indirectly donations of Big Pharma, and they do not want Big Pharma attacked. I don't know who all is behind this effort to take out Ken Paxton, because I did, I did hear from a lot of people over the weekend with various theories, but I do know, without question, he is the Attorney General the people chose They chose understanding all of the items that are mentioned in the articles of impeachment. They back him because he stands up for the values of the Texas people, for the grassroots, and they don't want him removed. So the issue now goes to the Senate. I don't know what's going to happen there. We'll have to wait and see. I hope the Texas Senate can move quickly because this is really, it's not so much a stain on Ken Paxton as is a stain on the people of Texas. It is taking away their right to choose their attorney general. It's really a stain on the legis- on the process in Texas and on the Texas legislature for having gone along with what I think is such a sham. Okay, I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today talking about justice under tyranny, three-year anniversary of the BLM riots in Washington, D.C., armed violence, billions in property damage, destruction, multiple deaths and injuries, a true insurrection, but 
zero prosecutions by the D.C. District Attorney of BLM rioters and relentless prosecution of J6 unlawful paraders. It is impossible to reconcile the behavior of the D.C. prosecutors with anything remotely resembling justice based on truth, honesty, and fairness. This is unsustainable in America, yet the D.C. crowd marches on with plans for more censorship and control of free speech, leftists everywhere abusing the civil legal system to silence political opposition. The American meaning of rule of law and free speech must be relearned ASAP. And on Texas Attorney General Paxton impeachment travesty, more on this story, I hope tomorrow or later in the week, but for now. Paxton has always been popular with the people, unpopular with the GOP establishment. Paxton has used the Attorney General's office to take on cases the GOPE would rather he didn't. Election fraud challenge all the way to the Supreme Court. Fraud challenge to Big Pharma. Safe and effective claims on COVID vaccines. A Texas statute explicitly prohibits impeachment for actions taken prior to election, effectively holds that the people's choice in an election cannot be undone by the ruling class. The impeachment of Paxton appears based entirely on actions prior to the 2022 election. Invalid grounds for impeachment and bizarre ambush timing, meaning the people of Texas had no idea it was coming till a week ago, even though Paxton's office apparently did in March, um, and the history of the GOPE hostility. Paxton impeachment reeks of ruling class elitism and hardball tactics. Texas Senate should throw it out based on Texas statute alone. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear